You may be seated. I'd like you to turn uh, in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. We, uh, last week, I uh, had a, a diagram. It's a, it's a wheel. It has four quadrants, and it describes what we believe are the four purposes of the church. Our church, but any church that lives under the banner of, uh, of God's word and the gospel, uh, the, the purposes are worship, community, mission, and discipleship. The, the easy way that we've tried to capture that uh, for the sake of our own memories is uh, is reach. And we say it's upreach, which is worship, inreach on community, outreach on mission, and then downreach in discipleship. And uh, we, we define our purpose as this. Our mission is to make disciples as a church, as as a people. Our, our, our purpose is to glorify God ultimately. Uh, But our mission is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus who reach for God's purposes in the transforming power of the gospel. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who reach for God's purposes in the power of the gospel. There's those reaches. Now, today we're going to talk about uh, downreach, uh, which is uh, discipleship and that whole responsibility that we have uh, collectively and individually to focus on. Uh, our individual growth, our, that, that we as individual disciples would grow. But we do that in the context of a church family and community. And a disciple, uh, just to, to break down these terms as we focus in on that, that development of a follower of Jesus. A disciple is just that, a follower of Jesus Christ, an active follower of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that following is joyful. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes it is painful. It involves sacrifice. Sometimes it is something that feels uh, rather victorious and fruitful. And other times it feels like we're stumbling and inconsistent. Uh, But nevertheless, at the end of the day, we are people who are following Jesus Christ. A disciple, for some of you who know me, I've given this book, I've walked through it with many people, a book by Steve Smallman called The Walk. The Walk is all about steps for following Jesus for new or renewed followers of Christ. Steve Smallman, a pastor, writes this in his book, The Walk. The life of being a disciple is never presented. This is speaking from the scripture, right? The life of a disciple is never presented as adding Jesus To the life I am already living, but turning to Jesus to walk a new path. So it's not just augmenting and grafting in and putting a little, you know, just supplementing a little bit of, you know, Jesus into the trajectory and the direction I was already going in life. No, it's actually repentance. It's turning and saying, I'm following Jesus. I'm going the way that he describes, he desires that he has plotted out for us. So before we dig in on uh, what it means to be a disciple and, and, and downreach and discipleship as a, as a, a calling responsibility, I want to just uh, talk about the very hub of that diagram where we have the, the four purposes of the church. At the very center is the gospel, the, the word of God, and uh, the, the, the primary overarching message of the word, which is our authority for life and practice. The, the gospel is that good news of the person and work of Jesus that we so desperately need. But, but that good news isn't good unless it is contrasted. It's an, it's an answer to bad news. 
Now, I know you didn't come here this morning to hear bad news. That's just abounding all over the place. In the <laughs> and in every sphere, it seems like there's an abundance of bad news. That you're like, I don't, I don't need to hear that. Uh, I, I, uh, I distinctly remember feeling like I had had enough bad news, and uh, I, I, I journeyed down to take a class a few years ago with some other uh, Christian leaders and pastors. And the, the focus of the class was on peacemaking. And uh, pastoral counseling. And I, I distinctly remember that week, we heard a great deal uh, in the afternoons. We would go through some, some case studies and people would begin to uh, describe, you know, real life stories, uh, people, struggles. And, and I was thinking, I don't need any more bad news. Often it was tempting to be depressed when you would hear some of these struggles of, of infidelity, of, of deceit, of sexual sin, secrets, shame. Divorce, uh, injustices, manipulation, substance abuse, disappointment, hurt, a financial crisis, matters of family ethics and dynamics. I think you're getting the picture, right? Some, some of you are living in that. So, some of you this morning are living in the wake of some of those things. And it may not have been at all whatsoever in your choosing. It may not have been what you desired. It may, it may be a direct result or may be altogether not connected to you as it pertains to your choices or behaviors or desires. All of us are living in this. It was refreshing, by the way, to also hear many stories of healing and redemption and reconciliation and hope and change. And that's what also the gospel brings, the good news contrasted with the bad news that is brought because of, of sin and the curse. The gospel, amongst other things, brings clarity and hope. And I, and I mean that in response to the most foundational questions of life. The most foundational questions of life, the gospel brings, the word of God, as our rule of faith and practice, brings tremendous clarity. The first and, and, and most important question is, where did we all come from? And Genesis 1 answers that question. We were made by God in His image with purposes to commune with Him. The, the second basic question would be, why did things go wrong? Because clearly they have. And Genesis 3 answers that question. Because of the curse. Because of the choices of our parents. Even in the perfection of the garden, they chose to rebel against the Word of God. The third question would be, what will put things right? And the answer to that is, the gospel, the word of God says, is love. Love will put things right. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we were still, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then lastly, how can I be put right? Where did I come from? When and where did things go wrong? What will make things right? And then lastly, how can I be put right? In Mark 1.15, Jesus opening his gospel ministry says, Repent and believe the good news. Turn and trust. This is where we're anchored. This is where our hope is. This is something that gives us in the gospel a new identity. I said this last week, I think. A new standing before God. A new future. New purposes. Now, before, before we dig into our text, Titus 2, I, I want to start with, today with a question. I, just to frame kind of... Of the, uh, the, the, the metaphor I'm going to use. How many of you enjoy home repairs? 
I don't need a show of hands here. I, I, I really do. I, I, I think it's hard to believe it was almost a year ago when we went into kind of the, the lockdown mode. Isn't that crazy to think? Oh. So it was basically a year ago I started thinking, well, i got some more time on my hands. I can't go anywhere. What are some things we could work on? And I started to actually develop a list. And a lot of them were outdoor projects. Some were indoor projects. And that list got pretty long. And, you know, I'm one of these people that loves a good, you know, start off early Saturday, go to Lowe's, go to Home Depot, especially if it's going to involve some demolition or the purchase of a new tool. Uh, you know, just there's, there's good reason to be excited for some of these projects. My least favorite repair projects are the ones that involve any kind of work or repair above my head. Can I get a witness? Right. You got you got you got your. You got your hammer, you got your your your, your screw gun, what, you know whatever it is, a drill, and you're or you're trying to hold something. It's it is horrible. That is when the worst of Troy comes out. I'll never forget. We were about a year into our marriage. Chris and I decided to put a fan in our bedroom, and Chris saw a, a really nasty version of Troy after about a five-hour struggle of trying to hang this fan. Well, imagine for a moment to follow along these lines. Imagine. If you could, for a moment, that there were areas of your life that needed renovation, repair, and work. Sins that need to be demolished. Godly patterns that need to be built up and, and, and fortified. Some of you would say, wow, that would be a list a lot bigger than my refrigerator can handle. And I wouldn't, I, <laughs> for me, I, I wouldn't want that list to be on the refrigerator because that's in a public place. Can I get a witness? But what I want to see this morning is concerning our our sanctification. We we covered that earlier, the definition in our catechism. Sanctification is growing in Christ likeness. To put it real simply. That 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 dying and living, because we're united to Christ, we're dying unto sin, and we are living, thanks be to God, in the power of the resurrection, becoming more like Jesus. It's indeed a construction endeavor, right? It's a construction endeavor, but it's not your project and it's not your construction zone. It, it, it belongs to God. If you are his sons and daughters, he has a construction project going on in your life and it's his. We belong to him. We are his possessions. We are united to our brother Christ. This sermon is not catered to those who are comfortable or content with this present age. It is dim. It is dark. The struggle is real. And though this is not a word for those through this morning, whether you're watching online or whether you're here this morning, for those who feel that they are strong, but instead those who feel they are weak and they are struggling, those who see now, the Bible says, in a mirror dimly, but are waiting eagerly to see him face to face in glory. Our maker. And I want to say this in, pref- in preface because if anyone this morning, any of you feels and sense that you are strong and sufficient and satisfied, I'm sad because you're deceived. Because all of us have things to, to learn. All of us, every person to a person has areas where we so desperately need and desire to grow. We are God's construction Zone. We are a work in progress. We are being sanctified, set apart to reflect God's glory. We need the church 
so desperately the covenant community to help us in that. Paul is writing because he cares about the local church. He is telling his young understudy, Titus, listen, the the churches that we've established, go and appoint leaders. Go and address these various people at different ages and different stages, men and women, young and old. He has all this instruction. And then he, he takes this. This next portion. So if you would stand with me as we read God's word. And this is where he begins to address Titus and address us. Just a few verses. Titus 2 verse 11. Starting there. For the grace of God has appeared. Bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's ask for his help. Lord, you told us very clearly that your word is sharp, that it is powerful, that it is living, that it is active. And I ask that you would use your word by the power of your spirit to convict us, to comfort us, to counsel us, to challenge us, even change us, even today. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. So uh, if I were to to describe three parts of this construction zone, there is, just simply put, past, present, and future. Past construction by grace, future construction by grace, and present construction by grace. And I say by grace because grace is that unmerited favor of, That God has had his mercy and compassion as well for us as sinners. And that's where the salvation, verse 11, it it appeared to us, right? Look Look at the text there. The grace of God has appeared to us bringing salvation for all people. That word appeared, epiphany is where we get the word. He appeared is something that is... Um, is used twice here in our text, and I'll, I'll speak to that. But it's one where it's revealed, it is a, it's an appearing, something that was previously concealed, now revealed in clarity to who? All men. All people, men, women, young, old, people from a you know, variety of backgrounds, different social classes. This is part of this covenant community that he is forming. And so I, I just, I, I know that as we look at this, you know, a few verses. If we were to look at it in the original, Paul's actually doing what he is known to do elsewhere. One big gigantic run-on sentence, right? It's just, it's just, it's just on and on and on. And and I'm just going to look at primarily verses 12, 13, and 14, and I'm going to do them in reverse order. Okay, so this is this is not going to be uh, chronological. Let's begin with verse 14. That's where we see this past construction. By grace, because it says there that he gave himself, Christ gave himself for us, not gave. Pretty important here. He didn't give of himself. He gave himself full sacrifice, his very life he gave. That in many ways would lay the very cornerstone of God's past grace for construction that we would be built upon. First Peter 2 says that we're built upon that that chief cornerstone who is Jesus. 
as a living church, that it was that act of his grace. The picture of grace is grand. It's pretty glorious. Here it's seen in Christ's death, giving giving himself as sacrifice. And that has something in view. What does it have in view? Well, it has his death. Christ's death secures for us forgiveness. That's why the text there in verse 14 says to purify for himself. uh, Excuse me, to, to redeem us. He does say that. But to redeem us from all lawlessness. We're redeemed. We're, we're, we're set free from that, not in bondage. But let us not forget, as many as, as many can be prone to forget, that he also, in his death, secures liberation from bondage. That's why he purifies for himself a people. That kind of rings back to our earlier uh, Old Testament reading. Because De- Deuteronomy talks about, you who were not a people became my possession, my people. You weren't great. You weren't impressive. You weren't well behaved. And then I, I decided to make you mine. I chose you, the least. He set them free, delivered them at various times. The, 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 the passage we read in Deuteronomy talked about their freedom from the power of the dominion of the slavery of, of, uh, of Egypt. But then the exodus comes. And don't miss the fact that it's not just me, but to, not to purify just you, but to, to purify for himself and redeem a people, a community. This, this, this moves beyond to talk about the body, the church of Christ. And our response is partly embedded here because Christ dies. Why? That we, verse 14 again, are a people zealous or eager for good works. Now, now sometimes, let's all be honest, this, this eagerness can wax and wane, but the, but the pattern is there. J.C. Ryle uh, a British pastor in his classic work, Holiness, describes this sanctification process. He says, God's holiest saints, those are the ones who have grown the, you know, grown the most, God's holiest saints agree in this, that they see more, feel more, and do more, and repent more, and believe more as they get on in spiritual life, and in proportion to the closeness of their walk with God. In short, they grow in grace. Now, if you have no, no, no sense this morning, you have no eagerness, maybe it's time just to pause here and take some inventory, but if you, have, if you have no eagerness, if you have no desire for what God calls good right now in your life, if you don't, if you don't have that, I don't know that you know the grace of God. You can today. But right now you don't. You don't know what he has displayed in his great sacrifice. The, 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 the fact that he's laid down his life. Your view of the Christian life might have to look more like um, living without any of the dying. But that's not how it works. Maybe, maybe your idea of the Christian life is, is one that involves relaxing more. Something of a vision of relaxing on a beach with a drink that has a small umbrella in it. But in fact, it's a construction zone. There's noise. There, 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 it's a battle zone, really. The Bible makes that very clear. Sometimes God's got his jackhammer out, and it's loud because he's, he's calling us to repent from self and sin. The love of self and the love of sin. 
because we have been crucified with Christ. Now, before we look at our present day struggle, right, let's move to the next verse, which is the future. So we just talked about the past construction by grace, freed by, by Christ. But the future construction, verse 13, by grace, let's read it again. Waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, remember, in verse 11, it said the appearing, that word was epiphane. And, it, you know, the appearing that what was concealed is now revealed that that appearance of grace is now also coming again. In the appearing of the glory, who is Christ, who is going to come again. And we do call it a blessed hope, something on the, the horizon. But it's only a blessed hope for all of those who are disciples, who are eagerly waiting for him to come. And it's only a blessed hope for them. And I say that because when he comes again, it will be with justice. He will judge the earth. Jesus has been appointed to fulfill that. And it will not be all good news for everyone when he returns. For those who are living for themselves or even those who are living trying to purify themselves, not trusting in the gospel. It will not be a good day. They will stand condemned. It's only for those who are trusting in the grace of Christ alone who will have reason to rejoice and call it a blessed hope. That future construction zone by grace. We desperately right now, are struggling to live for Christ in a world that's filled with all the effects and temptations of sin. Christ is coming, though, and he will reverse the curse. He will establish a new heavens, that's the skies, a new earth, and we will live and dwell there. And that will be the completion of a great construction zone because we ourselves will be without sin or even the temptation to. Praise God. Is that not enough reason to pray for the second coming? Not that we didn't have for some reasons already. That is our bright hope on the on the horizon. That's something that we're waiting for. Those who are being sanctified. We've not arrived. We're all in the we're all in the struggle between the first and the second coming. We know he's come, but we're still in the struggle. He's yet to come. Which is where I want to draw most of our attention, and that is how do we respond to the cross here and now. Verse 12, present construction. Past construction, future construction. But what about the present construction zone that he's got going on by grace? And it is by grace because verse 11 says that it was grace. And then verse 12 says that that is the grace. Let's read it together again. Let's look. That's It's the grace that's in verse 11 that says verse 12 is training us. Grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. It's, it, it's, it's grace that is coaching us along. It, it, it's, it's, it's not us. It's not something ex- external as important as the law of God is. It is the grace of God that is coaching and pressing. At the end of the 19th century, there was a British uh, theologian writer, uh, Hay Aiken, and he wrote a book called The School of Grace. And I love that title just for the title. Because that's exactly where we're at. We never graduate from the school of grace. We never outgrow our need for grace. And he talks about how that grace certainly instructs us because it sheds light. And the two comings of Christ are the two windows he describes in this. There's the west window and the east window. The west window is the window in the past. And that has the light that streams from Calvary, Christ 
at the cross. And then there is the east window, which is the future appearing. And that is a light of a brighter sunrise when Christ returns. And right now, we presently need both of those lights coming in. We need both of those to be sanctified in this present school of grace, don't we? The verse here captures really the very, the very essence of sanctification. That, we, that it, it's training us or teaching us in the positive and in the negative. All right, let's just, let's just break this down. It's in the negative sense at the beginning of verse 12. The negative sense is that it teaches us to what? No. Say no to ungodliness and all those other things in the, world, uh, the world's ways, those passions that we know violate our conscience. But, of course, that's completely strange and countercultural, isn't it? You need to obey your thirst. You need to, you need, we live in a culture and a time when people say, if you have an impulse, if you have a desire, if you have an inclination, that's your identity. You, uh, by all means, need to obey that. Act on that. You feel an impulse? Well, you better obey that. And, and that's, that, 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 that's me. That's you. That's definitely me. If I didn't know the grace of God. If I didn't know Jesus, that would be me. So have mercy. I want to have compassion. But right now I'm telling you, as a follower of Christ, if that is you, the grace of God has appeared so that you can say no in the negative sense, but then yes in the positive. Because the rest of the verse goes on to say what? Verse 12. It's very clear. And yes, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It teaches us yes. We see the twofold instruction, even as we've confessed in our, our catechism, that we are dying more and more into sin, and we are living unto righteousness. That's Jesus, right? Jesus dies, and then, then and only then, does he bring life. Because if Jesus doesn't die, then we have no hope. And if he, doesn't, if he isn't raised, then we definitely don't grow and change. Think about that. And, and, and let, let's just practically think about this, right? As we, as we live in the construction zone, think about this. Because there always has to be a yes and a no. There always has to be a no and a yes. It means that we not only say no to things like gossip, we say yes. I will build up other people with my words. And it, it doesn't mean just that I'm going to say no to stealing or greed, but I'm going to say yes to giving generously. The positive and the negative. It means that I not only say no to lust or to, to envy, and I say yes to taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because he's better than that. Francis Schaeffer speaks of this in his book, True Spirituality. He writes, often after a person is born again, becomes a, a Christian, a follower of Christ, asks, this is natural, what shall I do next? And he is given a list of things, usually of a limited nature and primarily negative. Often he is given the idea that if he does not do this series of things, he will then be spiritual. This is not so. The true Christian life, true spirituality, is not merely a negative not doing of any small list of things. 
Schaefer rightly goes on to talk about the manifestation of the inward and the outward, the negative and the positive obedience of the Christian life. Our present struggle, friends, brothers and sisters, in the construction zone of sanctification needs, it must be fueled by grace. And as much as we grasp the grace of God, particularly in the crucifixion and the death of Christ and resurrection, the more we are inclined to sacrifice as well. And I don't mean by way of legalist, but we're more inclined to sacrifice simply because we are grateful. There is a great reward and joy in the process of sanctification. We are liberated. We are being liberated from the bondage. And, and my prayer, my desire for me and for you as a church, it's, this is part of what we have in view. When we teach our youth, when we have a women's Bible study, when we have small groups, when we, we, when we meet individually, when we come gathered here Lord's Day by Lord's Day to hear and be reminded of the means of grace to strengthen us through all of these things. My, my desire and prayer is in this construction zone, we will experience part of what, and I've used this quote before, one of my favorite artists back in the 90s, Michael Card, had a song. And he writes this, this is the line, it's hard to imagine the freedom we find in the things that we leave behind. Every heart needs to be set free from possessions that hold it so tight. It's hard to imagine the freedom we find in the things that we leave behind. Sanctification is most assuredly, undoubtedly, I know I've been, I've been walking with Jesus for many years, peaks and valleys, victories and defeats, shame and brokenness. I, I, I'm telling you, it is a mystery. It is a profound mystery, a blessed mystery. In the construction zone of sanctification, I want to tell you this. God is not the general contractor where we just sit and watch him. We, we are not passive. We are involved. We are submitting. We are yielding. We are trusting. We are forsaking. We are, are reading. We are attending to the means of grace. And yes, we are obeying. And by the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit, God has given his grace and sanctification that we might participate in this together. As a church. Because we need one another. Let's pray. Father we thank you for this vision. Of your purpose. For change and growth. Lord you, would you forgive us. Would you draw us Holy Spirit. To a place where we appreciate. Anew and afresh that anchor. Of, of our very. Core purpose in the gospel. Would you draw us back. To the cornerstone of Jesus. I pray you'd help us to apply. Uh, this message to say yes and to say no in all the ways that you would desire for us. And I pray you'd begin with, with us. Please accompany, Lord, we as a people with your Holy Spirit that we could fulfill our mission in response to your great faithfulness. Not, not, not just for us individually, not just for, for our children, children, but for generations. And yes, we do want to teach our children we, we, we need wisdom on how to do that. Please help us to teach young ones in our church to do the same. We know, God, we live in a very fractured, confused time. And there's a lot of anger. And there's a lot of fear. And there's a lot of unrest. And we pray that you would be merciful. We pray. We know we live in a time where there's sickness. There's lots of different sicknesses. And we can't stand 
to see. It, it, it troubles us to contemplate the effects of things like cancer. And right now, this pandemic, we pray that you would bring healing. But as we wait and we pray for those who are in leadership and those who are in science and medicine and those who are trying to strategize about dispensing of a vaccine, Lord, we pray that you, God, would be glorified to bring an end and to restore some of the things that have been lost. Lord, we pray today for our new president, Joe Biden. We, we pray for his entire administration. They need direction. They need wisdom for a very difficult job. We know that's true for a lot of leaders across this nation, across the globe, frankly. They need strength. They need insight. They need sensitivity to provide that. Bless them, we pray. Lord, our great hope is our King Jesus. And our, and our great hope for our country is that there will be spiritual renewal and revival and more churches planted. And we pray with great thanksgiving for the other churches in this area that lift high Jesus, that believe the gospel, that are also trying to make disciples. So I, I pray specifically even this morning that you would bless South Shore Baptist and Duxbury Church and New Hope Chapel. North River Community Church, First Baptist in Situate, for the Lutheran Church of the Cross, where we pray for their mission, for their leadership, for their, their worship and their witness. Prosper them, please. Thank you, God, for answered prayer. Thank you for bringing health to some and stability and encouragement. Meet people this morning where they need your encouragement, your truth, your conviction. Please work through our church that we might become more shaped in our knowing, in our being, in our doing to be more like the image of Jesus. We pray in his name.